Hi, my name is Yara and I'm the host of Life After Birth. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the Wajak Noongar people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. I send my respects and reverence to Wajak Noongar elders, past, present and emerging. On this podcast, we share stories and wisdom about the ups and downs of our mothering experiences, much like the First Nations people of Australia have done so through their storytelling for over 60,000 years. Through their oral traditions, the Wajak Noongar people have supported and celebrated one another and have passed down knowledge, values and lessons, providing a testament of the power and significance of sharing our own stories. In honouring them, we recognise the importance of storytelling in understanding our past, navigating our present and shaping our future. My hope is that this podcast carries this spirit forward in our conversations, acknowledging that while our stories may differ, they all hold value and contribute to our shared human experience. Hey Mama, I'm Yara Heary and this is Life After Birth. This is where you can find honest and vulnerable conversations that lift the veil on how mothers really experience life after birth. Join me as I talk to the experts in the parenting space, but not as you've heard them before. These conversations explore the common humanity in all our lived experiences as mothers, so that you're left feeling seen, heard, validated, and bolstered in your ability to weather your mothering storms. Hey, mamas, welcome back to Life After Birth. And this week, it's been a while actually, this week we have a, a solo episode where I'm going to riff a little bit. And what's on my mind today that I want to talk to you about is something that I decided needed to be spoken about after seeing a video that I think went viral on social media that had Maggie Dent and Kate Ritchie. You may be familiar with the one that I'm talking about. And in the video, Maggie Dent's on an, on an interview on the radio and Kate brings up and I think starts to talk about the mental load. Maggie offers her two cents on it. And so I want to just read out um, a bit of a transcript of what uh, they talked about. And then I want to explore some of the things that were raised in this. And I think also I want to say that I really respect Maggie's work. And what I love about this is it's brought up a broader conversation on mental load. And I think many women listening to that reel and maybe who've listened to the podcast felt really seen. And I think that that is really important and very, very powerful so no shade at all to Maggie, but what I want to talk about, and you'll you'll be able to understand this shortly, is the reasoning that she gives for why mothers are experiencing this kind of burnout. So this is what she says in the interview. She says, can I show the slight difference between mums and dads? Like when you go to bed because the singular focus of most males means I'm going to go to bed and go to sleep. And so you go to bed and you go to sleep. So the mum comes to bed to go to sleep, but we are biologically wired to make sure that we're caring really well because of estrogen. So we'll go through every decision we made during the day from, you know, breakfast right through to bedtime. And, you know, we're worrying that the kids didn't eat enough broccoli and didn't have enough for them or I didn't have enough for them in the lunchbox. And then the two male co-hosts ask whether it's a female thing. And Maggie explains that it's not just the the daily chores that mums kind of go back through, but we also beat ourselves up and worry about the future and past events as well. 
And so she goes on to say, then suddenly we're wondering if they'll get into university and then we've gone back and regret something that we did at our 21st and then we've come forward to the kids again and are comparing them to someone else. Then we've got, oh, my God, my eyebrows, I need to book that in before remembering there's a load of washing to deal with. Now, and then she goes on to say, this is the mum brain. This is the mental load we carry for the people we love. So what I want to say about that is there is so much power in being seen in what Maggie is talking about there. And like, I can see so much of my own experience there and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I guess for me, the real issue, and I really cringed when I heard her say this, was where she gives the rationale for this as being a biological reason. And what was really interesting is that in the comment section that was blowing up, there were lots of women who were taking issue with that kind of explanation of why this happens. And also there were a lot of men in there actually who were saying, well, hang on a second, like I do those things. I think about the decisions that I've made in the past, what's happening in the future, what do my kids need, all of the rest of it. And I really love the fact that there were men in there making that comment because I think what they were describing really beautifully was that the skill of parenting that Maggie was referring to is actually something that anyone can learn. It has nothing to do with the, you know, your your sex in terms of what how you were born. It has nothing to do with that. It has it has nothing to do with your estrogen. So estrogen absolutely does have an impact on our emotions and how we biologically function, but that doesn't explain why women end up carrying the majority of mental load in their families and especially around childcare. And then really interestingly, around about the same time, maybe it was actually earlier this week or towards the end of last week, I saw a post by Kimberly Ann Johnson, who I absolutely love, who is a sex and birth and trauma worker who is trained in somatic experiencing, body work and all of that sort of stuff. And I love her books and often recommend her stuff. And then I saw a post of hers where she was talking about maternal instinct and she was talking about, you know, that there is more and more people talking about this idea of maternal instinct as a fallacy and that it is actually something that has come from patriarchy and that it helps to legitimize gender roles, very strict gender roles, which of course in many cases can be really oppressive for women and for mothers. And she's calling this into question because she's going, so what are we saying? Are we saying that there is no maternal instinct at all? And I really understand that perspective and I also don't necessarily think we need to take away the idea that we have capacity to care for our children. But as I was reading through the comments of that, I came across a comment from someone in the section there and they just explained so perfectly my thoughts on it. So I wanted to share that here with you. And so this, the person that was responding just said that the the teaching that they had received have emphasized that to care about an infant is instinctual, but how to care for them is a learnable skill. And I just thought, oh my God, this is absolutely incredible. Like that is exactly what I'm talking about. So the idea that we care for our babies can be instinctual, that we care, that we that we want to do well by them, that we, you know, you know, that we want we want to learn. So we put in the effort to learn and to read the books and to do the courses and all that stuff so that we can learn the skills that are required to raise our children in ways that feel aligned for us in terms of our values. She goes on to say, and from other education, it has been emphasized over and over 
that, for example, skills like successfully establishing a breastfeeding relationship with an infant happens in way greater numbers in cultures where collective care for the postpartum mother is practiced and she is surrounded by other birthing people who have experienced rearing infants. So perhaps since we are relational social creatures, the disarming of our instincts that you refer to has more to do with our isolated states than whether we are or aren't being instinctual beings. So the reason why I bring up that comment thread where they're talking about maternal instinct at the same time as I'm talking about this conversation and this viral video with Maggie Dent and Kate, they both feel like they kind of come from the same place. I mean, in Kimberly's post, She's just asking the question saying, well, hang on a second, how can it not be possible that there is any instinct involved in childcare, in rearing children? And I think that the the response that a commenter provided really beautifully explains that from my perspective, which is that it's instinctual to have care for our babies and and our children, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the skills required to raise that baby are instinctual. It's worthwhile saying as well that the instinct to care for our children is not only a mother's instinct anyway. Now, going back to Maggie's comment, you know, the problem that I have, I guess, with what she's saying there is that she's saying that the reason why mothers are feeling overwhelmed is because they take on so much load because they are biologically wired, because they have hormones that mean that they're more likely to do these things. And it is just not right. And and I have to admit, I have not listened to the full episode. So it's possible that there's more context provided in that conversation. But I also think it's super, super damaging to have that snippet going viral because it's telling people that the maternal instinct is real, which we have lots of evidence against that now. And to say that actually these skills that are required for running households and raising children are things that can be learned by anyone. And certainly having high levels of testosterone is not what makes it hard for people to learn how to care for themselves for a home and their children. So I want to spend a bit of time just unpacking maternal instinct and what some of the research says about this at the moment. So what is maternal instinct? (laughs) What are we talking about when we talk about maternal instinct? So, and I'm going to talk about it as a myth. So it's a deeply ingrained belief held by some individuals, and obviously you can hear that in the commentary from Maggie, and it is certainly communicated and perpetuated by our society as a whole in terms of the messaging that we receive throughout our lives. So at its core, this myth suggests that women have a natural biological predisposition for caregiving, and alongside with that, because we can hear from Maggie's comment, managing households. It implies that the desire and ability to nurture and care for children are inherent in all women because of their gender and because of their biological predisposition. And in you know the case of this viral reel, she's talking about the hormone of estrogen. So let's have a look at the different things or the different parts of this myth. Let's unpack the myth a little bit. So There is definitely some what we might talk about as biological sort of essentialism or determinism that is part of this myth, which is that um, asserting that women are hardwired for motherhood implies that women's bodies and brains are specifically designed for caregiving with an innate ability to understand and meet the needs of children. Now, of course, there are elements of this that are true. Of course, women 
can make babies within their bodies, they can carry babies, they can birth babies, they can breastfeed babies. That is not something that I am in conflict with or challenging in any way. Of course, that is the fact, right? But it's more around with the innate ability to understand and meet the needs of children on an emotional and on a tangible social household family level. That's the problem that I have because there is no way that there is biology that means that only women are the ones who care to do that or or can do that or can learn to do that. And then let's have a look at, you know, societal expectations. And so this myth, we have to look at the social context within which we operate and how this myth both was created within that and also serves to perpetuate the social context that we live in, right? So it has absolutely been reinforced by traditional gender roles that have existed for centuries in our culture. So societal norms and expectations have often placed women in the role of primary caregivers, reinforcing the belief that this is their natural kind of domain. And look, from a perspective as well, from a feminist perspective, when we're looking at patriarchy, Keeping women in their quote unquote natural domain also means that there is, there's a whole, you know, half of a population that is maintaining and holding up the ability for the other half of the population to continue living their lives the way that they might want to in terms of career, social engagements, personal achievements, all of that sort of stuff. So we need to also understand that this idea about the maternal instinct perpetuates patriarchy and it perpetuates the imbalance in our culture. It perpetuates dominance of of men in our culture. It, it does a whole bunch of things that aren't great. The other thing I want to look at is the, the scientific evidence or what I would actually say is the lack of scientific evidence. So there's a lot of belief that there is scientific research to back the idea of maternal instinct, but it is absolutely not true. So research has repeatedly failed to provide definitive evidence supporting the existence of specific maternal instinct. And while women absolutely have the capacity for caregiving, it is absolutely not a one-size-fits-all predisposition, nor is it something that men cannot learn how to do. Men are able to do so many amazing things in this world. I just cannot believe on an anecdotal level and thankfully the research backs this up, I cannot believe that they are not competent in learning how to provide care. What we do need to understand, though, is that the way that we are socialised in our culture is one such that women are socialised to be caregivers. They are socialised to be the ones that care about the emotions of others and that have the language of emotions, that know how to communicate about that, that have a hypervigilance that, that they learn through their families and culture. Men haven't been socialized in the language of emotions. They haven't been socialized in the language and actions of care for others. And again, it doesn't mean that men don't ever do that, but it's just not what their primary socialization has been. Their primary socialization has been in the space of in parenthood. It's been to provide its provision. And much of the time that provision is from a financial perspective And that goes back a long way in time as well, which, of course, I don't have scope for on this episode. And look, I want to make clear that, of course, there are men who have been socialized in terms of the language of emotions and who do incredible caretaking work. 
I'm talking in generalised terms of what are the gender roles that we've typically been socialised into in our culture. And so it's important to say, well, when Maggie gets on an interview and says, you know, you're thinking about the laundry and you're thinking about sports and you're thinking about this and this and this, it's it's absolutely not to do with the estrogen that you have running through your body and actually just to do with you've been socialised to pay attention to those things, whereas your partner has not. Secondly, the fact that that we, that you do that thinking and, and holding of all that mental load, it reduces the need for our partners to have to do that. So they, of course, become less practiced with that over time as well. So it's just so important to think critically about what we hear. And it's really important to remember that even the experts and the professionals in this space have their own biases and their own blind spots. So I want to just actually, before I go on, just talk a little bit more about the scientific evidence. And there's a few things that I just wanted to reference here. One of them is that we know that human behavior is extremely complex. And so, and that it is influenced by so many different factors, including genetics, culture, environment, and personal experiences. And so again, just reiterating that reducing maternal behavior to a single innate instinct really oversimplifies the complexities of motherhood and parenthood, because it also means that we're reducing the capacity of our partners as well. And also the other thing is that when we look at cross-cultural studies, researchers have observed such different variations, really significant variations in caregiving practices and maternal behaviours across different cultures, which beautifully shows that maternal behaviour is really strongly influenced by social and cultural factors rather than an inherent instinct. And then going, moving over to sort of attachment theory, which was developed by John Bowlby in the mid-20th century, it emphasises the importance of early caregiver-child relationships. And while it acknowledges the significance of caregiving, it doesn't attribute it to a fixed maternal instinct. And instead, it actually emphasises the impact of the quality um, of caregiving and quality of caregiving is something that we develop through strong community supports by people who have been there and done that before and have done that in a in a positive, adaptive way, but also in terms of all the work that, again, many women are involved in when they become parents, all the labour of actually listening to the podcast, listening to the books, all of that sort of stuff. That is where the skills of raising children come from a lot of the time for people. I also want to talk a little bit about how this idea of the maternal instinct plays into patriarchal power dynamics. Now, I did mention a little bit about this before, but I also just want to go into a bit more detail about the different ways that it actually works to uphold the status quo. And so the first one is obviously reinforcing gender roles, because I talked about that a bit earlier. So the maternal instinct myth is, is often used to reinforce these gender roles, And the division of labor then, as a result of that, assigns women the responsibility of nurturing and raising children, which is, again, more opportunity to build the skills and to perpetuate that that cycle and that, that false ideology around this instinct, while men are often associated with roles outside of the home, such as like breadwinning, as I talked about, financial provision and leadership. I also want to make note about preserving male dominance, which I did also mention as well. So by promoting the idea that women have an innate, biologically driven predisposition for caregiving, 
The myth reinforces the perception that women are naturally suited to domestic roles. Now, I also really want to acknowledge here that some women may choose to stay within that domestic sphere for a period of time. They may decide that they want to stay home and raise their children and and maybe even homeschool their children. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that as long as you are given freedom of choice to make that decision. And the problem with maternal instinct is it takes away that freedom of choice because it says, well, you're just better suited to this job. So therefore, I'm going to be the one that goes to work and continues being out in the world. And because you are better suited, then you should stay here in the in the domestic sphere. That is the problem with the maternal instinct myth. So I want to clarify that there is no issue with women choosing to be the the stay-at-home parent, you know, for many years after their baby is first born. That's wonderful. And if that fills you up and lights you up, then that is beautiful and how empowering for you to make that choice. And then I want to talk about following on from that, the limiting of women's opportunities. So when women are pigeonholed into specific roles, as I just mentioned, it restricts their opportunities for personal and professional growth outside the home. And that can lead to women being discouraged or marginalized when pursuing careers, education and leadership positions. And then moving on into the workplace, this perpetuation of the myth also can contribute to gender inequality in the workplace. Women can face bias and discrimination based on the assumption that their primary role should be caregiving, which could potentially lead to fewer opportunities for advancement and wage disparities. It's not just because workplaces are saying, well, this is your role and you have to go home and look after kids, but it's actually like if you are in a partnership where this idea of the maternal instinct is at play, well, then your partner may be less likely to offer you the opportunity and the space and capacity to actually be able to take opportunities that exist in the workplace. The other one that's a really big one for me comes back to some of the other kind of patriarchal motherhood ideologies around that becoming a mother is the ultimate. Hey mamas, it's Yara here from Life After Birth Psychology. I want to talk to you about something that many mothers carry a lot of shame about, and that's anger. Have you ever found yourself thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? Why am I so angry? Why can't I just stay calm? Well, I want you to know that you're not alone. So many mothers quietly worry about their anger. But did you know that your anger carries messages that can unlock a more regulated and fulfilling experience for you as a mother? To support you in changing your relationship with anger, I have created a self-paced online workshop designed to help you understand your anger and learn to process and express it in more adaptive and healthy ways. Within the workshop, you'll explore the role of your nervous system, the hidden messages in your emotions, and even how your past influences how you respond to challenge and stress today. But the best part, you'll gain practical tools that'll help you gracefully steer through those intense moments, all while deepening the heartfelt connections you cherish with your children and loved ones. Ready to get started? All you have to do is head to lifeafterbirthpsychology.podia.com, scroll down and click on my Why Am I So Angry workshop. You can also check out the link in the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get back to the show. Success for a woman. You know, so I really feel like this myth feeds into the undermining of a woman and a mother's autonomy. So because it implies that women should prioritize motherhood above all other aspirations, 
And it can also be used to influence debates around reproductive rights as well. So it may be used to justify restrictions on women's access to contraception, abortion, as it suggests that motherhood should be an inherent and uncontested choice for women. So, and I know that like for some of you listening, you may be like, whoa, Yara, you've like really gone out there from this one viral reel. But I think that it's actually really important to recognize the significance of that kind of commentary from someone in Maggie's position where people are looking at her as an expert and she is making in this instance a claim that just isn't substantiated by the literature. And I'm going to drop in the show notes some stuff that if you want to, you can go and check out some titles to to see where I'm getting this information from. I haven't listed everything by name in this audio, but certainly if you want to look into that, you most certainly can. But it is really important because if because if she's saying things like that and women are internalising that and our culture continues to internalise it, then these things like undermining autonomy and reproductive rights and control, limiting women's opportunity, preserving of male dominance and, and reinforcement of gender roles are the long-term impacts of this kind of myth and this kind of ideology. So it is actually really important. And so what I want you to know, if you know, for whoever is listening out there and maybe men or fathers or partners that are listening out there, is that the skill of raising children, I really want to take it back to that beautiful comment that someone left on Kimberly's page, which was that to have care for your infant or baby is instinctual, but the the behaviours required to care for that baby may not all be instinctual. And I mean, I, I say may not all be. I would say they are not instinctual. That's something that we learn. We learn in community. We learn through, you know, the experts like Maggie Dent. Maybe you learn through some of the stuff you get through me and, and podcasts and, and many other places that you get that through all the books that you read. I mean, I just think about my experience in becoming a mother and I think, my God, if I had not read all these books, if I had not seen a therapist, if I hadn't been in the groups that I'd been in, there is so much that I wouldn't know. I have a deep love for my children that can never be undone. That doesn't mean I always know what to do in the situations that arise in my parenting, like when my children are being difficult, when I'm being triggered, you know, and connect, re- reconnecting back to earlier traumas of my own, when I'm up against new experiences, like, you know, my child is struggling in their social situations or in schooling and stuff, there's no instinct for how to deal with that. You go and seek support and you ask questions and you get educated. That's the way that it is. Similarly, you know, running a household, a lot of that is is just something that I've learned over time because I've been doing that. Some of it is because I've gone and asked for advice in my community and amongst other women that I know and sometimes amongst other men that I know. All of those things are things that I have been taught in and I very clearly remember in my childhood actually having education and teaching around how to maintain a household through my grandmother and through my father and through other people who were around who taught me how to do things. None of those things were maternal instinct. So now what I want to do is I want to also address the specific hormone that Maggie discussed in that interview. So she talked about estrogen as being some of the reason or the driver behind women and their mental load and managing all the things and in essence that estrogen is the driver behind maternal instinct. So I want to talk about that because that was not accurate, I don't believe either. And so 
Estrogen is a hormone that plays a significant role in the female reproductive system and it has many different effects on the body and it's important to acknowledge the changes hormonally that occur during pregnancy and motherhood but it's also really important to avoid oversimplification and misconceptions that can come up when it comes to the you know the relationship or the the proposed relationship between estrogen and maternal instinct so during pregnancy estrogen levels typically rise and play a role in preparing the body for childbirth and breastfeeding And these changes can lead to physical and emotional changes in expectant mothers, such as increased breast development and heightened emotional sensitivity. In the postpartum period, estrogen levels drop after childbirth, like really significantly, which is also why we have the baby blues that happens in the in the short period of time after childbirth. While other hormones like oxytocin and prolactin become more prominent because they are involved with initiating and maintaining breastfeeding and bonding between a mother and child. It's important to recognize, though, that just because we have these hormones at play, it doesn't mean that we're just going to know how to breastfeed. It doesn't mean we just we know how to put how to position a baby on our breast. So again, even with the the hormonal changes that we're experiencing, there is still skill that may require instruction and and the wisdom of someone else who has been trained in how to do this or who's had that experience themselves. And then I feel like we also need to talk about the fact that current research in the field of neurobiology has also begun informing us about the changes that happen in the brains of fathers as well, which shape their interaction with their children. So one of the really amazing and important findings that we need to talk about here when we're talking about hormonal changes in women is that There is this hormonal shift that occurs in men when they become fathers. So studies have shown that levels of oxytocin, which you may have heard about as the love hormone, increases in fathers similar to what is observed in mothers and that this increase in oxytocin is associated with greater paternal responsiveness and nurturing behaviours. But it's not just about hormones either. So brain imaging studies have shown that certain areas of the brain are activated in fathers when they engage with their children, and that these areas are often linked to emotional processing and empathy, suggesting that fathers, just like mothers, are wired to connect with and care for their children. Now, it doesn't mean that all fathers are automatically going to become nurturing and responsive. Just like with mothers, the experience of fatherhood is influenced by a combination of biological predispositions, environmental factors, social learning, A father's own experiences, the support he receives, the societal expectations, they all play a really important role in shaping the way that a a man will end up parenting, so their parenting style. When we think about this, what it means is that the understanding that we now have on neurobiological changes in the brains of men when they become fathers, it not only challenges the traditional view of parenting roles, but it also really highlights the importance of supporting fathers in their parenting journey. And it really underscores that important fact that fathers, just like mothers, are essential for the healthy emotional and social development of children. And it really goes against this entire idea that we have, which is that women are just predispositioned to do all of this you know, labour of nurturing and caring for children and of running homes and all of the rest of it. It just completely goes against that. And some of the research that I have put into the show notes is research that has compared brain imaging and hormone levels in primary care mothers, secondary care fathers, primary care fathers, and also fathers in same-sex relationships. 
So it's important to know that this information is coming from diverse sets or groups of people, which again goes to say that actually men have all the capacity, fathers have all the capacity and everything built into their own systems to do a really fantastic and wonderful job of fathering, of parenting. And I think that's a that's something to celebrate. That's fantastic. So maternal behavior is influenced by so many different things. As I mentioned earlier, biology, psychology, you know, what's happened to us in the past, social and cultural factors. Hormones are only one piece of the puzzle. And so it's really important to look at all of this. The other thing that I really loved in the comments to that original video of Maggie was the number of fathers who were talking about how they do everything that she was talking about in there. And I think this speaks so beautifully to the system that we are in and the fact that men can learn and can be fantastic providers on an emotional level and in other more tangible ways to a family, not just in a financial capacity. Because essentially when I was reading through these comments and they were all, you know, men were getting really upset and understandably because it sounds like she's taking away, you know, the fact that they actually can do these things and many men do those things. And so I loved that there were all those comments from fathers, but even I see that in my community and in my own personal life. So when I am away, the household doesn't end and the children don't die and things might get missed here or there because he's maybe not in as much practice as I am as holding some of those things together, but everything is, things are fine. So I hope that this has been interesting. Like I said, I'm also going to post some references that you can go and have a look at if you want to on this as well. Yeah, maternal instinct is not a thing. The, the, the instinct to care about our children Absolutely, 100%. I think a lot of the rest of it is skills that are learnt. So the instinct to protect and to care, absolutely, present in both males and females and everything else in between. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. I hope that you found that insightful. I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks so much for joining me, Mama. If you enjoyed this episode, I would just love for you to leave me a review and follow or subscribe to be notified when the next episode drops. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me over at Instagram where my handle is at lifeafterbirthpsychology and you can find out more about how I can support you on your mothering journey at my website www.lifeafterbirth.com.au. See you back here soon for our next chat.